This episode is brought to you by Kanye West and his inspirational quote, People talk so much shit about me at barbershops, they forget to get their hair cut. Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, my people. Hello, my people. ¿Cómo están? Hello, damas y caballeros. Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, where I welcome people with remarkable stories for amazingly vulnerable conversations. You will love Dave Keystone, one of the most talented storytellers I've ever known, one of the most interesting people I've ever known. Here's his bio, just so you can see it for yourself. Dave Keystone is an award-winning television host, producer, and writer. He is best known as the host and co-creator of the CBC series, Small Talk, where he seeks life advice from kids, for which he won the 2018 Canadian Screen Award for Best Host and was nominated again in 2019. He is the creator, producer, and host of several other hit series, including, and buckle up, Kids On, where he turns to kids for advice on all things love, dating, and relationships. Who We Are, a talk show designed to inspire social consciousness through candid conversations, for which he also won the 2018 International Academy of Web Television Award for Best Host, and best pre-recorded hosted series. Sex on the Street TV, a street-style interview program on Funny or Die. I love this. I actually I watched it on YouTube. I couldn't stop laughing. The travel series, Phil and Dave Do and Dave Does, following his comic travel adventures all over the world. He also hosted Chorus Entertainment's cooking competition show called Cooked on YTV. He's also, this is my favorite part of Davis, <laughs> incredible Snapchatter. He's a well-established Snapchat influencer nominated for the 2017 Shorty Award for Snapchatter of the Year and the 2016 Ghosty Award for Snapchat Storyteller of the Year. He was also the first person ever <laughs> to be invited to take over College Humor's Snapchat account and has acted as a brand ambassador for a number of travel brands including Wow Air, Hostel World, Bus About, TripAdvisor, and, Mo, and more. And my even more favorite part is one of the most recent things that Dave is doing is Keepsake Video Inc. Dave is the co-founder of Keepsake Video Inc., a production company specializing in creating personal profile videos that preserve people's stories for future generations. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this episode with Dave Keystone like I know you will in three, two, one, go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Stefan Dyer podcast. I have here the unbreakable, the unmistakable, the highly capable, the invincible, the master of disaster, Toronto's best storyteller, one of the most authentic, incredible people that I've known in my journey here in Toronto, the legend, Dave Keystone. How are you, brother? I'm excellent. How was that intro? It was so good <laughs> that I'm like, look at this guy. When you're, I'm like, look at this guy. We're doing great things. You're so eh? good. I'm a biggest fan. Oh, I'm man, a huge this makes fan. Me, this makes me really happy. Well, my friend, um, one of the traditions that we have here at the podcast is that I tell people why I invited them. And in your case, I met you in 2013. 
And like I just said, you are arguably the best storyteller that I know. You are authentic as can be. And you execute, I've seen you execute projects, go to Europe, volunteer, create companies, like all these things that you, you have to know that one of your strengths is like you execute, you just do stuff. You're, you, you go in, you're so committed, you're really funny. And when I was getting this podcast ready with, with my wife, like months ago to start it, I was like, Dave has to come. A lot of people, obviously nobody knows, but you were going to come here weeks ago, but you mm -hmm. blew your back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now you're here, my friend. How, uh, how has this pandemic treated you? I'm the type of person, like nothing. This hasn't changed my life at all. I know. I've I spent my whole life at home. Before I once did, I once did the math and I spend 87% of my awake life in my living room alone. I love When you that. look at my social media, you would never think it. When you look at the work I do, you'd never think it. But I spend a lot of time alone. And so when the pandemic hit, I live across the street from a shopper's drug mart. I got, I got, they have a pharmacy, they have a post office. And so everything that I need was right there. I don't really socialize very much with my friends. I talk to people on the phone, but I don't get together with people because I don't care. And uh, and so and so, really, the pandemic like I just feel bad. For, everyone else seems to be suffering. Yeah. And what I don't understand is here's what I don't understand: hasn't everyone kind of strategized over the past year how to live in shit? Like people are still complaining today. When is this going to be over? When's going to be over? I'm like, I've structured my life around yeah. this shit. And so everything's happening now, and I and I because like yeah my 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 mother's complaining, my friends complain, my family complains. When are we gonna get this done? And kids need to go to summer camp, and this needs to happen, and that needs to happen, and it's so hard for people. Everyone's suffering, and I'm kind of like, haven't you all gotten used to this? So I don't I don't know. The pandemic to me has been really bad, yeah. but it actually turned my business around. I I the truth is though I when the pandemic started. I had gone through a lot of real tough times, but right before it. And so when it hit, everything got dramatically worse, but it wasn't the worst thing I was dealing with at the time. And still throughout this past year, the pandemic hasn't been my issue. I got other issues to deal with. I got bigger fish to fry in this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I got I bigger problems. Bro. I feel like it's not even... Like sometimes when I say the pandemic has been great to me or that it hasn't really shifted the way I do things, I'm having great fun, I'm learning, I'm reading, I'm still exercising, we're still performing in many ways online. Sometimes I get guilty saying it because I'm like, oh, look at me in my beautiful mattress of privilege. Are you But I think it's an attitude thing. I, like I've known you for like eight years And I still feel like there could be a, there could be a civil war in Toronto, and you'd still man, be doing your man, things. I'm sitting I'm sitting in my apartment, and Serb comes out, and I'm getting two thousand dollars a month from the oh, government. Yeah. And Shoppers Drug Mart is open across the street till ten, and so I can get everything I need. Yeah, and no one's going out, so I have no fear of missing out. I'm the yeah. kind of guy where like the only thing that pisses me like I'm actually upset that summer's coming. No, sincerely, I'm upset yeah. that summer's coming because everyone wants to go out and do things. And everyone's getting out there, and I'm gonna start to feel like shit that I'm not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm the so when when the, I was like we're I said to my buddy upstairs in my apartment building. I got a buddy who lives upstairs, and I said to him like we're like we're like uh, we're in the we're in the we're in the box seats. 
yeah. of the pandemic, man. We're here. We have our health, Shoppers Drug Mart, I, pharmacy, $2,000 a month. It's insane. My rent is a, is $1,000 a month, which is really low. So I'm like yeah. really lucky because I've lived where I live for 10 years. And so, um, yeah, this whole pandemic thing, I, I've just been a, I've been a backseat driver to it all. What's wild about it is that my dad was a tropical disease, infectious disease doctor. And so, and he died in September, 2019. And so he died just before this happened. And his whole life was basically working to prepare for something like no this. And then way. he died. So did all the work, people. Did he work the, for the government? Or, or No, no, he was just a doctor who worked for Toronto General Hospital. And he was just a, he's kind of like, he, he, uh, he was awarded the Order of Canada. So he was what? like a well-known doctor in the Canada. The Order North America. of Canada. That's huge. Yeah. He was, he was, he was, a, he was a kind of a, if there's fame in medicine, he had it kind of like a, a bit of a world renowned guy. Um, but, but so all the people who talk on the news now, all the guys that you might like Abdu Shikarwi and, and, uh, Isaac Bogosh, the guys that we see on CBC news in Canada, um, my dad would have been that guy and all the people he trained are now that guy. And so when the pandemic hit, my storyline was that everyone was calling me about was God, you fuck your dad died. Like it's so like your dad. I just keep thinking about your dad. Because when Zika happened and when yeah. swine flu or, or, or um, you know, whenever, whenever, we, whenever we have issues, these kind of tropical diseases or infectious diseases, people always call me to ask about it because they know my dad is yeah. the guy who would know about well, it. What do, if, if he was still here, what would be a couple things that he'd be saying about it? So what I, So I don't know a lot about it, but when it first happened, one of the first thoughts that I had was he would have probably been trying to kind of uh, alleviate, he he wouldn't have wanted the panic. Yeah. He would have said like, use common sense, wash your hands, stay socially distanced, don't French kiss strangers <laughs> for a time. Let's all just stay home, chill out, yeah. calm down. It's serious, but like calm down. Um. And so I kind of wrote a blog post about it when, when this first it. started and, and, and I, I sent a letter to the editor and cause I'm, I'm one of those guys who writes letters to the editor all the time. And, uh, and, uh, I sent it to a couple of his, the guys who are on the news, like these top doctors on the, on like top emerging infectious disease doctors. And, uh, and they were like, you know, we agree. And my dad would have had a bit of a sense of humor about it, but he would never have played down the seriousness of it. Yeah, I like that. You know. You're you're one of the most creative people that I know. And the first question that comes to mind, with such such a successful dad in that field, did any of your siblings you were four, right? Four five and, of us. Five five of you. Did any of you go into medicine no. or was there a pressure for you to go into medicine? The joke I make is I abused my parents into being exactly how I want them to be. So I got my parents to fuck off about just about everything. And so so there was no pressure to go into that field. I come from a sort of a middle-class Jewish community. So yes, people are doctors and lawyers and dentists and stuff. And so some of those stereotypes are true. Um, I've always kind of been a bit of an outcast in that way. I've always been a creative. My dad was on me about sort of making money. Do you make, you make any money? Like, yeah, we just got a show on CBC. Are they paying you? I'm like, I just told you I have a TV show on CBC. You think I did it for free? Like, really? What do you think? You know, you make any money? It was the first thing out of his mouth. That I had to confront him once about it. And I was like, 
I need you to stop asking if, because I'm a, I'm a struggling artist yeah. who's okay with that. And so I said to him, like, I need you to start to, he was in the hospital actually at the time. So I knew I had him like kind of cornered. He couldn't go anywhere. And I said, I need you to stop asking if I'm making money. And when I tell you something's happening, I need you to say, how can I help? Because when you say, are you making any money? It makes me think like you're working against me. Like I have to prove something to you. And yeah. I'm already trying. I'm like, this is the only thing I know to do. I'm trying to do this. So, um, no, but there was no what did pressure. He say? Um, he, 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 I was heard. He said, oh, I hear you. He made you feel seen yeah, and heard. Yeah, for I sure. Like, I like but, that. But, um, but I, I, I come, I don't know. I, I definitely get caught up in the rat race and the comparisonitis. I got a lot of friends who are super successful. I got a lot of friends who aren't. Um, and so I kind of, I come from a community of like, I like half of the people I know are like super wealthy. Some of them are trust fund babies. And then the other half of the people I know are struggling stiffs like me just trying to get by, you know? Well, this is why we're here, man. Just to shoot the shit, shoot but the shit. also talk about, cause you're one of the most interesting people that I know. And also one of the best writers and storytellers that I know. I always read all your posts on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere. And you created this company called keepsake video inc and it's basically what's keep what's a keepsake video it's a personal profile of someone telling their story to preserve their life story like on video where did this idea come from and has it boomed during the coronavirus or no change at all so my dad's gonna die like in a few years and i know this for a fact and so i i interview people for a living and so like a part of what i do is i interview people and so i thought what if I sat my dad down for like an hour, hour and a half and interviewed him about his life? Because if I ever have kids, I'd want to be able to introduce them to their grandfather. And technology exists that we can do that now. And he was of the baby boomer generation. So he's not on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Like we're all documented everywhere, but he's not. And so I thought, what if I just sit my dad down and do that so that if I ever have kids, that's like, because I would love to fucking meet my great grandparents or my grandparents yeah. that way. And so I sat Same. him down for an hour and a half, interviewed him about his life from child, everything that he knew about his family history, childhood, work, growing up, being a parent, all this stuff, his career, um, you know, education, becoming a grandparent, you know, what words of wisdom would you want to pass on to future generations? What life advice would you have? And it was so beautiful. And I put in pictures and I put in music and I put in some titles and I showed it to a buddy of mine and he was like, this is beautiful. We need to fucking do this. Like we need to make these for people because this is the nicest thing I've ever seen. And so we called it a keepsake video and we started the company Keepsake Video Inc. And um, I mean, it's really keepsake video, but we put the ink on because that's the technical name. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and we started selling keepsake videos and interviewing people's parents and grandparents to preserve their stories. That's incredible. Um, the keepsake videos end up being these 45 minute to an hour beautiful videos that uh, have pictures and music and titles and it's someone or a couple telling their life story and then COVID hits and so you're like shit right like we can't talk to seniors anymore can't go into their homes we can't uh, everything gets screwed up but so here's what's amazing this is the best this is unbelievable so here are our challenges with our business the price of a keepsake video because we want it to be good quality and it's like so it's like a thousand plus dollars you know what I mean and when someone hears about a keepsake video, I think they want it to be $400. They want it to be $600, but it's over $1,000. i got to pay a lighting guy, camera guy, sound, whatever. want to make it look good. Editor, graphics, the whole thing. So it's expensive. 
And then the second problem we have is no one wants to be on camera. Who wants to be on camera? Nobody. <laughs> You'll be on camera. I'll be on camera. No one wants to be on camera. Yeah, Everyone's nobody. insecure. Third problem, no one thinks that their story matters. You know, yeah. you, you know, someone calls their mother up and says, I want to make this keepsake video. Like, I don't have any stories. And so there's the, all these problems. And then the last problem is that it's not scalable. We're in Toronto, me and my partner. We, we want to shoot one in LA. What are we going to do? We want to shoot one in Philippines. Someone in the Philippines, right? How yeah. do we make this global? How do we scale this company? So these are our challenges. And then COVID hits. We shut down pretty much, right? Because we can't interview people anymore. And then slowly but surely, everyone starts to use Zoom. Slowly but surely, everyone starts to care more about their grandparents. Yeah. Slowly but surely, everyone learns that you can record through Zoom and we can all, you know, do online recording. And so in this crazy turn of events, COVID, we adapted and we now record them online. People from the comfort of their own home. We can lower the price because we're not paying a whole production crew. We can shoot them anywhere in the world because we're on Zoom and we're online. And not only, so not only did it just solve all of our company's problems and sorry, and yeah, and people care about grandparents more than ever. And then the last thing, what's amazing is, um, because it's online before we would have people, uh, we would have, when we were shooting, interviewing someone in their home, it would be just us and maybe like their kid or like their grandson or something. But now because it's online, their whole family can gather and watch it from the comfort of their own homes. So it's become like a family gathering storytelling experience where a whole family comes together from anywhere they are in the world and they listen to one of us or one of our interviewers interview their grandparent about their life. We can pause for people to ask questions, follow up, ask for stories. And so it's become this like really unique, beautiful family gathering, family history storytelling experience you're for like an hour and a half you're honoring them too that's right in life it's that's like right. a legacy and then and then you also get the video of just that grandparent telling their story and so it's really it's it's so so covid actually not only it screwed us in the beginning but it actually made our product better how how much is it now for a normal depends just, what you want to do 500 500 bucks to 2500 depends what you want to do People still shoot in person, though. Now that things have kind of loosened up, we can go into people's homes. We keep socially distant, and we we make them. Uh, we shoot them with like you know in four K HD. Wow! Um, but if you just want a straight interview online, you don't want pictures, you don't want music, you don't want titles. You just want a raw interview of your parent or grandparent's life. That'll be like five hundred to seven fifty. That's really good. When you interviewed your dad for the first keepsake video, yeah. when you didn't even know it was gonna yeah uh, become a company yeah. What were you surprised or what did you not know about your dad? Well, it's funny. In terms of his personality, I didn't realize that he can't just like calmly have an interview. Um, you did not know that? No, I'm just, everything was like, like when I was interviewing him, when you watch it, it looks like he's like lecturing you. Like, so tell me about your past. Well, our father was like, he just, he just turned into like, it's just like <laughs> as if he was like teaching, but he is a teacher. He was a public speaker. He was a teacher. And so he kind of got into like lecture mode. Um, it wasn't like just like a calm, chill conversation. Um, but about my family history, um, not too much that I didn't already know, to be honest with you. I knew most of it. So I didn't actually learn that much new. Um, I thought it was really nice um, when he said, uh, when he said about, um, he, he, was, he, he really emphasized the idea of being a good person and treating people well. When it was like, 
what's the meaning of life? Or what kind of words of wisdom would you want to pass on? Or what, what, do you, what prides you about your life? He always came back to how you treat people and how you make people feel. That was very big for him. Like Ellen, be kind to one another. That's that kind of says. thing. He was always, and, he, and I put that in his eulogy and because he said it before he died to me. Because I asked him, what's the meaning, you know, what's the meaning of life? And I was like, all these things. And he said, you know, just, you know, treat people nicely, you know, do good for people. And just ultimately, don't be an asshole. I, I really like that, man. You, you had a post about your dad when he passed away. And also, your psychiatrist, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the post you said that he was like your second dad. In a way. In a way. Um, how many years did you see your psychiatrist and what did you love the mo most about him? Or what do you miss the most about him? Um... Well, I mean, he's a fucking, I mean, yeah, I don't really miss too much about him, to be honest, but, but like, he can fucking kiss my ass, but, um, uh, well, so here's the story. So my dad dies September 19th from medical assistance and dying, or September 3rd, 2019, sorry. My dad dies September 3rd, 2019, medical assistance and dying. So we watch my dad die. We know his death date. We're all there. I, we basically put down my dad. And he, okay? if just he for, chose the just date. Just to clarify, that means that you sign off on... He signs off on. He, si he medical, signs Medical off. assistance in dying in Canada is a legal procedure that's like euthanasia or, yeah. or assisted suicide, whatever term you want to use. It's a legal procedure in Canada. And he signed off. He applied for made medical assistance in dying because he had cancer and things were not going to go well for him if he stayed alive. He kept having to go to the hospital. He had bags coming out of every orifice and like just, you know, he was falling apart. And if he kept, if he stayed alive, he may have lasted a couple more months, a lot of pain, a lot of trouble, probably gone into coma. Everything would have been bad. So he signed up for medical assistance and dying. And my family's there. And it's, I mean, I, it's a kind of a long story. So I get it. It could be a whole podcast. <laughs> but, but, but the bottom line is we put down my dad. Yeah. And, uh. And it was amazing. It's about you, you. You ever want to experience life? Put down one of your parents. Oh my <laughs> Swallow God. that pill. And like for real though, it was the most beautiful experience ever. And in a way, I've said that it was one of the happiest days of my life because when you think about your life and the milestones, and you think about birth, and you think about uh, you think about you know your wedding, and you think about the first time you have a kid, and you think about if you're Christian, maybe being confirmed or Jewish, having a bar bar mitzvah, like life's milestones. Imagine the last milestone is death. And so imagine you're so happy when all those other milestones happen nicely. Imagine how you feel when you witness your family member who you know needs to go. Like it's yeah. their time. Imagine if you witness them die in the most peaceful, beautiful way possible, surrounded by their family and friends. And they're allowed to say I love you and give you some final words. Incredible. And you're allowed to hold hands together. And you're allowed to watch them fall asleep peacefully. Are you not? You're sad. You're sad as fuck, don't get me wrong. But in a way, for me, my experience was that it was the most beautiful goddamn thing I've ever seen. My dad, the day my dad died was one of the saddest days of my life, but in a way, one of the happiest days of my life too. Because my father lived a full life. He was 76, a little too young, but he lived a full life. And he died, and he lived, he lived on his own terms, and he died on his own terms. That's incredible. And it was beautiful. But so, anyway, so, so here's the thing though. September 3rd, my dad dies. I'm mourning my dad's death. Two months later, my psychiatrist, who I saw for 12 years, twice a week, every week, 12 years, twice a week, every week, and I told you at the beginning of this that I spend 87% of my awake life alone. 
So this is a guy who I pretty much spend the most time with too outside of my apartment, 45 minutes twice a week. And we're not just spending time shooting the shit. We're doing like real work, right? So for an hour and a half a week, this guy, I'm doing real work with him for 12 years. He knows every fucking thing about me. Two months after my dad died, he just dies suddenly. This is the guy who's supposed to like help me get through my dad dying. And then he fucking dies suddenly. And then COVID hits. And then my relationship that I was in that I thought was supposed to be like my life partner, we break up. And so I experienced my dad, I experienced the loss of a parent, the loss of a foundational psychiatrist, like, you know, centering human being and the loss of like a lover in the same like half year and through COVID. And it was like the strongest fucking person among us couldn't possibly not get dark. You know, I got dark. Oh my God. It was the darkest comedically dark, like full days crying. No, I just, I just turned 40. I just turned 40. Here's what's funny about breakups is that I don't know if my, so, so my breakup then in my mind triggered like a deep dark depression. And I think that it brought back stuff about my dad. It brought, brought back stuff about my psychiatrist dying covid hit like life's falling apart already for me i've just lost two foundational people in my life and then she leaves and and i felt like i fucking just lost everything i was fucking destroyed and and like i'm talking like just dark what was funny about it like there's nothing funny about it but what's funny about it (laughs) well yeah comedy is tragedy plus time it's all i got it's all all i can do is get funny out of shit and I'll tell you, like, for example, when my psychiatrist died, you can buy, who knows this unless you know, you can buy your psychiatrist's notes when they die. Get the fuck out. You legally have the right to your notes. So I went through the process and found the company that had hit the notes, my notes. I have a box at home of 600 pages no of my psychiatrist's fucking handwriting. You want to call it Pandora's box, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got the box. And it, can, did you read them? Yeah, for after after a little. While. At first, I was like, "Oh, you don't want to open this box. What if he says things, writes things? You know, you change the idea that you have in your head of this guy. It'll fuck up your life." And then I opened it up and I like flipped back to the first page and I was like, "Whatever I said twelve years ago, I'm probably over it by now. So if he wrote anything, I'm probably over it, right? Right? <laughs> you know?" And then. And then I open it and it was just, I realized that it was actually him just kind of transcribing what I was saying. So like he really didn't give his opinion on things. He was just, so I literally have 12 years, twice a week, every week of a psychiatrist, basically just taking notes about my life. What did you learn about yourself that you didn't previously know? I didn't read all of it, obviously. I just, I just browsed through a little bit. A couple things haven't changed. A couple things you're just like, fuck, I haven't changed that at all. Like what? Well... Um, a bit of my dating life, a uh, bit still of my uh, relationships, work. I still have some anxiety about work. The truth is, nothing's fucking changed. And then, and then it's all the same shit, just different time, different people, different jobs, different everything. Um, but so here's some interesting stuff. Um, so my relationship ends, and I go into the darkest time ever. Yeah. The joke I was going to make before is this: is that I'll tell you a couple things about about breakups and about about just deep, deep loss, like deep loss when it all happens at the same time. The first that I thought was kind of hilarious is that my dad died right in front of my nose, okay? My dad died right in front of my nose. I was a foot away from this fucking, like I watched him die. 
And I cried like right when he died. I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, you get for probably like what twelve seconds? One, two, three, four, yeah. five. Like just weep, and then and then you kind of like you know, and yeah. then you hug your family, and then you have little cries here and there. You're my own father. Thirty-eight years I knew this guy. My psychiatrist dies two months later out of nowhere, and like I cried on my couch. I cried, yeah, you lied, yeah, a little bit. But then, like, my ex and I break up. I've known her for, what, like a year of my life? And I'm there, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> like, literally crying like a child for, like, two, three months straight. That's how fucked up love and ego and breakups are. That's my insane. dad died in front of my nose, and I got over it. My psychiatrist died in front of my nose. Like, or, sorry, like, out of nowhere, and I got over it. My ex, some girl, I don't even know. Like, I hardly know. I mean, a year? How well do you know somebody? That's I insane. wept like a fucking animal, went to the darkest place, and then and then and then um I could go into a bit of a rant about depression and getting out no, of No, I want to ask you a couple but more you, things. We, we talk about some other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so you talk right now you're talking about possibly like one of the saddest days of your life when your dad passed away or this whole process. But because I know more about you in your creative side, which presumably brings joy to you. And I've seen you. You play. You play guitar. You MC. You storytell. You're fucking like the best. Like the best stories on Instagram and Snapchat. Like the best. And and um, what has been one of the most happiest days of your life? Or top top two? Is it related? Is it closer to your creative side, or is it closer to? relationships or to personal development okay i'll go there um happiest days of my life i'll tell you my 40th birthday was a really fucking great day yeah my 40th birthday ended up being the best one of the best days of my life what did you do the day my dad died was one of the best days of my life the first time that i ever told my ex-girlfriend that like she's my girlfriend was one of the best days of my life so it's kind of like sad because like fuck her now but like it was one of the best (laughs) days of my life and then i when i there was another best day, but I'm like kind of ashamed. I don't know how I feel about it. it popped in my head about when I won a Canadian Screen Award because it's kind of like Canada's Oscar. That's like amazing, Canada has man. like Canada has like our Oscars, uh, Golden Globes, uh, like all the American awards. Ours are all in one. It's called the Canadian Screen Award. What was it for? Uh, for being best host of Small Talk on CBC, this kids show that I host, and um, it was That's a good. Huge. It was a good day, but but the thing it was a good day, but it was only good because I felt like I kind of accomplish something to like please my dad in a way it was almost like it was like an accolade you know and it kind of yeah. like so it shut him the fuck up and kind of felt like i like got somewhere um but so but i don't but so it's, it wasn't like genuinely like the best day but i just remember having that feeling but so you you had asked about um about my 40th birthday yeah the reason my 40th birthday was such a special day is that uh uh, 160 days before my 40th birthday, I was in such a deep, dark depression and it was real bad, man. I'm talking like, fuck, my breakup put me into the darkest place ever. I couldn't believe it. I had to stay at my sister's for a couple weeks. I was so depressed. I fucking, I did everything everyone said. I got a psychiatrist, CBT therapist, nutritionist. What's CBD? Ex- uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's just a type of therapy. Okay. I got a fucking everything. People say they're depressed. They're like, exercise, eat healthy, go do this, go do that, get out, go for walks. I fucking did everything. Okay? <laughs> fucking did everything, honestly. And and I was so 
dark and sad still and I couldn't get over my ex and I had a bit of obsessive compulsive disorder about it and I was just like hung up and and the last email that I wrote her and I shouldn't have been messaging her anymore she asked to be kind of left alone like our breakup we, we didn't break up like like fighting but like we broke up and I didn't want the relationship to end and and I wrote I wrote her an email that I shouldn't have even sent she'd already asked me to fuck right off you know and uh Tell you, don't text your ex. There's any rule that you learn about, right? You know what's beautiful? In relationships, everyone's like, the one thing that would bring the world together, it's the one thing that unites us all. I'm telling you this. Here's what's funny about breakups. I don't care what your religion, sexual identity, sexual preference, race, color, creed, your fucking anything, whatever your background is, the only thing that brings everyone together that everyone can agree on is don't text your ex. From the fucking, my Filipino (laughs) cashier at Shoppers to my Jamaican bus driver to my Irish fucking garbage man, everyone agrees, don't text your ex. Yeah. So what do I do? You go and text your ex. I text my ex. Of course I text my ex. Why wouldn't I text her? Everyone's telling me not to. The only person who thinks that you shouldn't, who you should, that you should text your ex is the person at the time who wants to text their ex. Yeah. But even that person, if someone else is in front of them who went through a breakup, they'd say, don't text your ex. (laughs) And only until they get over it do they then finally join the world of the don't text your exes. It's the only thing that all of humanity agrees, don't text your ex. So I text her and, and the last thing I wrote to her, I think it was on October 24th. I came up with this, I'm kind of, I get into numerology a bit and I had seen it, I saw that it was 160 days until my 40th birthday. And I thought to myself, like I'm half gonna, a year. I thought to myself, I'm going to go 160 days and I'm not going to message her anymore. And I'm going to fucking, I'm going to reclaim my life in this 160 days. And if 160 days, I still feel this fucking depressed in this darkness, then I'm going to rethink like life in general for all I know. But I'm going to give myself 160 days. It's a very, it's a very you thing to do, you know, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very like, I'm just going to fucking give myself this timeline, this structure and do it. And so in that 160 days, if I ever fucking fall and think things are shit, I'm just going to keep going because I said to myself, I do this 160 days. So I called it my 160 to 40. Oh, for, the first, so for the first couple months, things, you know, I was trying different things here and there. And then I, and I'm getting to why my 40th birthday was the best day of my life. And this, this is all to get to my why my 40th birthday was the best day of my life. It's really meaningful to me. And then I go through all this shit and I start to, again, psychiatrist, therapist, CBT therapist, nutritionist, exercise, working, everything working. And my ex, she had a bit of a, she had a a tiny thing about, a little bit of a thing about like money, like not about money that like you need it, but like stability. And as a struggling artist who never struggles, but like lives the life of a struggling artist, money, I was so beaten up about my career. I don't have a career. You have a great career. No, no, I thought, I know, but it's not like stable and it's in my own hands because I'm an entrepreneur. And so I start to study it. So one day I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to make money. And I'm going to show her one day. And I'm going to go become rich and make money and whatever. And get next time I see her, I want to be like, I got to, I got to, I built a business. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I start to study Amazon. You know, people do like <clears throat> fulfillment by Amazon. I start to study Amazon and I think, okay, finally in my life, I've been an artist my whole life. Fuck it. I'm going to go study Amazon. And I'm just going to work to make money. And I'm going to study products because I studied industrial design. And I'm an entrepreneur. And I know how to get things done. And so I'm going to study. I'm just going to make money. I'm going to sell shit for shit's sake just so I can fucking make money, okay? And I start doing this. And I start paying for some programs and studying it like crazy. And like I'm like you where I'm a mental case. Yeah. When I get into something, I really structure it and do it. Obsessive. I put together this whole curriculum to study Amazon. 
and then the like company a, Amazon, the company yeah. Amazon to be able to study because there are there are agri- there are programs that you can buy that you can subscribe to that show you about products on Amazon. Amazon is a whole world where you can study the algorithms of like. You can study products, how well they're doing, how not well they're doing, their ratings. Their, there's a whole thing. I don't yeah, want to get yeah, into yeah. this whole thing. Study the shit out of it. I could do a whole fucking, I could host a whole show on it. <laughs> but, and then after a couple months of that, I was like sitting on my couch and I was just so overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed of five, six, seven months of just fucking, of just pain of, of like trying to be a better person. Yeah. Through my breakup, I wanted to build back up my ego because I, I felt like I was a bad person because of our breakup. I think she left because she because she knows I'm a good person, but I did some things that were not great. And you I felt feel real like bad. you're not enough. Not it's, enough, like, exactly. We all feel that. So, exactly, anyways. exactly. So I was like, I'm going to become a fuck enough. And through trying to become enough, I exhausted myself. And one day I was on my couch and I said to myself, hold on a second. Like... You're in so much pain and you're still trying so hard to become something better that you're not for this girl who you don't even know anymore. Why don't you throw it all away? This is after like five, six months of real work. Why don't you throw it all away? If you had all the money in the world and had no worries, what would you do with your time? What would you want to do? What would make you happy? You have enough money right now to live for a few months. So why don't you just fucking take, take some time off? And the government is supporting us. And the government's giving me some fucking money. So why don't you just take some time to just do what you'd want to do? And I realized if I had a choice and had all the money in the world, all I would want to do is volunteer. I'd, oh. want, to be a vol- I'd want to be a full-time volunteer. So I go on Volunteer Toronto, which is like a website in Toronto, and I start looking up volunteer opportunities. And I find three. I find a thing called Shelter Movers, where they move women and children from abusive situations so it's like a moving company almost of volunteers to help move women who don't have the resources who are fleeing domestic violence and their children. I found the Toronto Wildlife Center, which is a hospital and rehabilitation center for wild animals found around the city. So if you fucking find a pigeon on the street with like a broken leg and you call 311, that pigeon gets sent to the Toronto Wildlife Center. It's wow. many volunteers, veterinarians, all these people just working to keep, they got squirrels, raccoons, skunks, all this stuff. It's the most hilarious place you've ever seen. And then I also found Meals on Wheels through this organization called Sprint Seniors Care, delivering food to seniors. And when I started going out and doing this volunteer work, I realized this thought. I, I come from a pretty, like, I come from a middle class environment where, like, we weren't rich, but we didn't want for anything. You know, we never worried about where our next meal's coming from. Yeah. But we didn't, like, get a new car when we turned 16, you know. And I, and my whole life, all I ever heard was, do what you love and the money will come. And I, that has been a very difficult, and that's a very privileged thing to be able to say, to do yeah. what you love. Like, we're going to be a fucking break. And so I rewrote that saying. I have it on a sticky note in my apartment, and I rewrote it to read, set up a life of giving and the rest will come. I love that, man. And since then, I have been basically like almost, almost like a part-time, if not full-time volunteer I volunteer three, four times a week. I did fucking two things already today. I did a shelter move yesterday. I did a Meals on Wheels today. Tomorrow I'm doing another shelter move. On Monday I fucking go three hours at the Toronto Wildlife Center. And so, (laughs) and so, and so, what volunteering did is it revitalized my sense of purpose in this world and my sense of self and a sense of community. I go out, I meet great people who I work with at all these places. So then my 40th birthday comes and I have so much anxiety because it's my 160. It's the fucking 160. It's the day that I committed to myself to be better and do better. And I decided that that morning I would wake up 
and I would sign up for a shelter move. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking volunteer on my 40th birthday. 9 a.m. on my 40th birthday, I wanna go move some woman who's fleeing abuse to a safer place. And I go do that Monday on, on, on the morning of my 40th birthday. And then after that, I go to the cemetery and I visit my dad. I sit with my dad, cry a little bit, set up some food. I sit leaning on his gravestone. My buddy comes, she's got some food, we chill. Coincidentally, his widow, his wife, shows up there. I see his wife, his widow, someone who I don't see that often anymore. His twin brother shows up, coincidentally, on my 40th birthday. I said, it's like my dad like sent me these two people. His twin wow. brother and his wife show up to visit the grave when I'm just sitting there, because it was on Easter. She's not Jewish, so she celebrates Easter. So they came together, so I see them. And then I go for a jog, I do a fucking jog that I've been doing, and I beat, make my best time. It's usually 15 minutes, I got it down to like 13 and a half that day. And then I go to my sister's house and my whole family comes by that day and they write some speeches and they bring some of my favorite food and my best friends there. And I was like, and I went and, and, and what was so sad is that at the end of it, for some reason, it's so crazy about breakups and the ego. Is yeah. At the end of it all, I thought about my ex, you know, and how yeah. sad I was that she wasn't there and stuff. But it's not about her, right? It's about me. My, my pain and sadness about losing her is more about me and my own 100%. development. Right, exactly. And so... On my 40th birthday, I was like, wow, you know, like, I don't have her back, and I'll never have her back, most likely, but I got myself in 160 days out of the darkest, deepest depression, like, suicidal ideation depression, and and so I was like, I fucking beat depression, man. Yeah. And my mother makes a fucking great speech, and my sister makes a fucking great speech, and my other sister makes a great speech, I fucking eat some cookies, have some barbecue. It was, it was literally like the best day of my life. I couldn't believe it. And everyone's all emotional about turning 40, a 40, 40. My sister pulled my first gray hair out of my head. I've never seen a gray hair in my life. <laughs> I, I love that because... And it, so it, thank you for listening to my story. But that, that's been my story. It's been a real hard battle since the day my dad died. And then my psychiatrist and then my ex-girlfriend and then COVID. And that was all together. And I quit drinking when my ex and I broke up because I had been drinking a bit and it was bad. And and then and then I had falling out with two organizations that I worked with. It's a long story I don't want to get into. And so I had my whole identity stripped away from me in the past year. My fucking my dad, my psychiatrist, the love of my life, who I thought was the love of my life. COVID hits, company falls apart. I have a falling out with two companies that are like pretty much foundational forming companies that I had worked with for like 15, 20 years. I literally had my whole identity stripped. And then I was sitting with nothing. I was naked in this, in this universe. And when I found volunteering and how meaningful it is to help people, when you do a shelter move and you see a woman who's fleeing abuse and you see like that they're not even safe in there, forget, forget food and water that we have and our privilege yeah. and our fucking heat. Imagine not feeling safe in your four walls. And I move these people. Shelter movers has saved my life. I believe that my sister Catherine being so patient with me through all of this and shelter movers has literally saved my life, given me purpose, and 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 it's like, what 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 can you possibly complain about? When two days ago there was this beautiful, sweet uh, 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 woman <laughs> who was like crying in front of me because we helped her so much f- get through what is fleeing a, abuse. Who, where do they have to call to come out? To they're, come? They're the clients, the clients, uh, the clients uh, go through an agency to get in touch with shelter movers. And so uh, I don't know for sure all of this stuff, but I know that, you know, clients are in shelters around the city. There are a lot of women's shelters around the city. Um, 
clients work with the shelters, they work with their social workers, they work with different agencies to get in touch with shelter movers who then organizes for us to move their stuff. I go into their, I go into people's homes and I pack up their stuff and I put it in a truck and I move it with these teams of people, all volunteers from storage units to shelters, to new homes, from their home to a storage unit, to a shelter. It's just shelters, storage, and homes that you're moving it's people to and from. Man. And often the client's there and you go home at the end of the day and you're just like, what the fuck do I have to worry about? What do any of us have to worry about? Yeah, it's the content. It's it's yeah. It really enlightens you. I'm I'm really happy about. I'm this sorry, journey. I rant like that. <laughs> no, no. But thank you for listening. I'm really happy that this journey has taken you here. Obviously, not not happy about your dark spot, but mm-hmm. but happy that you went. No, through no, there I'm and thankful. I, and, and now you're out of it. I've uh, come out of it thankful. 100. percent And and then the the thing that I think about is um, sometimes because it's happened to me. I try to achieve to be happy mm-hmm. and I try to fill the ego and I, mm-hmm. and I love being in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be at center mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. and I think you're really good at that too, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes uh, in this artist world that we live, it's tough because we play many games like, and, and it's hard when you go to a barbecue and, and your friends who are 40 or in my case, my friends are 34, 36, whatever. Some people are having kids. Some people mm-hmm. are like have a mortgage, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then you start to get into that comparison game. Comparisonitis, you, I call it. Yeah. It eats you alive. Mm-hmm. And from the things that I've read, giving is one of the things that actually makes people more happy or releases more endorphins or, it just makes you feel incredible. So I, I, I think back to um, Tony Robbins' quote. He always says, uh, I used to achieve to be happy. Now I happily achieve. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're there. And, and actually, when you think about it, you're, you're really making a difference. Like you're, you're out there. This one time last summer, last summer through COVID, I was having like a rough day. It was like 11 a.m. I was training for a marathon. I still had to go do my like 16K run. And I'm sitting there on my couch. My wife is next to me. Liam is healthy. And then I think, dude, my only worry is that I have to go run yeah. for fun. Yeah, fuck you, right? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Shut the fuck up, right? Then, yeah, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, and then I realized I'm living... Like a millionaire, yeah. Without the millions, but yeah. Really, you don't want like a lot of people don't want to have the millions. They want to feel good, like what it would feel to have millions. But you don't want to have the money in the bank. You want to you want to feel like I mean, it's good to have the money in the bank, but you want to feel like you have that money fulfilled. So, yeah, uh, there's this story that uh, you've probably heard it, but there's a Wall Street guy in the coast of Mexico a fisherman comes out of the ocean with a couple of fish and he's like oh how long did it take you he's like a couple hours and he's like well you know if you if you stay there a couple more hours you can make more fish he's like nah I'm just gonna I just, I'm just gonna call it a day I'm gonna go to town have some drinks with my with my friends play some music dance be with my wife and my kids he's like but if you go back you could have more fish than in a couple months with those fish and the proceeds, you could hire a couple of other guys. So instead of one little boat, how do you call those? Like little, little... Uh, dang it, putt, putt, whatever, yeah. Yeah, instead of having one, you could have three. Then you could make more money. And then maybe in a year, you could have a company. In 10 years, mm-hmm. you could you could uh, go public, have an IPO. 
And then, like, you could sell that company, go to L.A., then go to New York City, do the IPO, become a millionaire. And when you're 60, you could retire like a millionaire. Like a fucking champion. And then, and then the Mexican guy's like, uh, okay, then, and what do I do then? He's like, and the Wall Street guy's like, you move to the beach, and you have, uh, you, you hang out with your buddies, you drink, you dance, you're with your wife and your kids. And then, I guess, the moral of the story is like, He's already doing that. That's what I want to do right now, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. already doing that. You yeah. don't have to go through that long path yeah. to do what you want to do. Yeah. And I know that, obviously, with, with, with the obvious exceptions, but you're living like a millionaire. I go, I go, I go, I got a couple thoughts about what you just said. The first is, I've always kind of had a joke that, like, I'm taking the scenic route. Like, if I ever had a podcast, I think I'd want to call it the scenic route with yeah. Dave Keystone. Because I just turned 40, and I... I am a decade behind all my friends. All my friends, I'm going into 40 the same way all my friends went into 30. In they what went way, into like financially? They went into, they went into 30 in relationships or about to be. Careers on their way, starting to have kids and a family. I'm now 40 and I'm just sorting out my career. I'm single. I have no kids. And so the joke I made up on my 40th birthday, I thought that I had this thought that like, I'm a decade behind all my friends, so I'm going to fucking die a decade behind them too. When they're all fucking rushing into the grave at 87, I'm going to be fucking 97 years old, fucking paragliding off the Swiss Alps. Yeah. That's it. I'm behind them all. And, and it, but, but it takes a lot of work to, rat, to, 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 to like come to terms with that. It is, yeah, it is tough. And my ex was all about like she wants to have a kid. She, and I started to picture doing that with her. And we broke up. I, I bring a lot back to my ex because she really triggered a lot of real me, deep stuff in myself about me that had nothing to do with her, but it triggered it in me. And so I was speaking to a friend about this today. And he's like, he's like you know, you, he talks a little bit like this. He's like, you know, you, know you, you, just have to, you just have trouble accepting that like life is fucking difficult and sucks. And life's sad and fucking sadness. And you just have to fucking deal and get over it. And I said to him, I said, no. I said, I'm not going to fucking accept that because the past few months, I've felt really fucking good. I've suffered a lot in my life for sure. But when I'm out at summer camp or I have a great job that I love, life is good and I'm feeling good. And the past few months doing all this volunteer work and leaning into giving and, and, and all the work, as you know, but we could talk about a bit, but a lot of the work I do is also for social good, right? Yeah. I produce shows of conversations. I'm, I'm working on something right now with CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health about suicide, because I want to interview people who are bereaved by suicide. And, and I want to help them share their stories to help other people. And Keepsake Video, we're helping people you know, yeah. preserve their family history and all this shit. And so I said to him, like, can you share the premise of the show you have with kids? That's a beautiful show. Yeah, I have a show. I have a, there are two series. Um, One of them is called Kids On, and it's on YouTube where we get dating advice from kids. That was the first version of it. And so if you type in Kids On Canoodle, because the company was called Canoodle Content, um, Kids On Canoodle, C-A-N-O-O-D-L-E. But if you find it, you find it online. Though that's an amazing series where we sit with kids and they give us dating and relationship advice. And then CBC, uh, which is uh, Canada's national broadcaster, picked it up and said, we want exactly the same thing, but we want you to talk to kids about kids' things. And so there's a show called Small Talk on CBC. Beautiful. Where you can go on YouTube and check out Small Talk CBC, where we get life advice and perspective from kids. And so I'm the guy sitting with the kids getting the advice. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when I met you like eight years ago through our mutual friend Daniela Silva from Costa Rica. (laughs) Yeah. You, didn't you go and play guitar to old folks' homes and volunteer? So, one, so yeah, I'm a vo- I've been a volunteer forever, but I didn't. So here's what's interesting. Thank you for bringing that up, my friend. For eight years, every week at 
every Wednesday, I went and played guitar at an old folks home. I thought to myself, I play guitar in my living room. I want to go perform somewhere. I should go perform. And I was like, fuck going on stage. Why don't I go find, like, perform for kids or seniors? Called this old folks home down the street from my place. Sure enough, they said, come on in. Try it out. Eight years later, I can now play two hours of music from the 1920s to the 1960s, standing there like an idiot with my own guitar, <laughs> singing these songs. Oh, and the red, red robin come bob, bob, bobbing along. Okay? <laughs> And I'll tell you that, and I used to feed the homeless too. Every Wednesday? Too. Every Wednesday. I never miss a Wednesday. 545? 6.45 every Wednesday for eight years I did it. And even on my birthday, my buddies were like, we're going drinking. I said, guys, I'm so sorry. I got to go to Pine Villa. I'm singing for the old folks. And I'll tell you why I prioritize it. It was the best thing ever because I'm a person like you maybe or different people, everyone out there in the world who I, I struggle with the, with the, am I doing the right thing right now? Yeah. Is the work I'm doing the right thing? Is the relationship I'm in the right place? Is, is any, am I, am I serving my purpose in the world? And when you volunteer, so for that hour, I knew that no matter what, I'm doing the right thing. For this one hour, not only am I singing and it's so beautiful and playing music, which is nice, watching these fucking old, mostly women, because men seem to die earlier, watching all these old women sing and dance and fall asleep and fart and burp and cough and clap and laugh, <laughs> and I'm telling them stories where I'm the best time for an hour. In that hour, it, it, it was almost meditative meditation. You're very present. I told my friend today that I think that the volunteering and the reason I've leaned so much into volunteering right now and this idea of it is because I was doing some meditation for a bit and exercise and whatever. But when I'm volunteering, when I go do a shelter move, yesterday I did one, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. The whole day, the, no, no, because we drove to another, we, it was a long one. It was a very yeah. long one. Usually there are a few hours, but that one I committed to a whole day and I didn't mind. Or the other day on Monday, I was at the Toronto Wildlife Center and they didn't have a lot for me to do. And the woman said, can you just sweep down this hall? I looked at the hall. It was perfectly fucking clean. And she, but there was nothing for me to do there. And she said, can you sweep the hall? In that three hours at the Toronto Wildlife Center, and when I'm on a shelter move a few, few hours a couple times a week, and when I'm doing the hour with the Meals on Wheels, the entire time I'm doing it, there is no question in my mind that I'm doing the right thing. And, with the, and then when you play guitar? When I played guitar at the old folks' home. When I feed the homeless for a few hours every Thursday when, when, uh, when it's not COVID, I, I work at a homeless shelter. Those few hours, I know in my mind I'm doing the right thing. When I'm outside of that space, my relationship, my career, am I doing the right thing, you know? And, and it's sad. And I said to someone recently, it's like, it's crazy that I'm not getting paid for it. And I'm so much more capable than what I'm doing. I could be running these organizations for crying out loud, considering yeah. the things that I've done. I've, I've run companies before. You're a genius. But, but I've, yeah. I've, I like, there's something about it that's like, I'm working to make money. And this is almost like just as important because this is like my mental health. This is my meditation. Yeah. And some of my colleagues, I have a bunch of different companies and a bunch of different partners. And they're like, one of them the other day, they're like, they're like, they're like, you know, I got, I got my kids and things I got to do. And so you're always doing these shelter moves and like, we need to schedule things. And and she they framed it as if, to some degree, that the volunteering was like just a secondary thing I'm doing, and it should come secondary to my work for money and my career. And I've realized now, and I'm never going to change this, that the volunteering and the mental health and wellness that it brings to my life and the community of people that I meet and know and the people that I'm helping and the good feeling it gives me and my sense of purpose, my purpose cup is full. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what my career and my, my work is. It doesn't matter if it suffers or not because my purpose cup is full. And every time I go a week and I don't have the volunteer stuff, 
I'm like, I feel it. I'm like, fuck, I got to get a shelter move in. And so I have this love-hate relationship where I'm sad that the organization needs to exist because domestic violence is horrible. But I said to, I've said to a few people that shelter movers are saving my life in the same way that I'm helping these people for sure. And I've no, and I have no qualms about it. And I've had conversations with people about the altruism of doing, you know, you're, you're volunteering, but like, is it for the right reasons? What does the fuck matter? This client is getting help. Well, fuck you. What does it matter why I'm doing it? I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't care if I'm doing it. And I don't care if I tell people I do it. I don't care if I brag about it to people that I do it. Pat myself on the fucking back. This client is getting their help. Yeah. And it's helping my mental health. Actions speak louder than words. You're definitely a genius. It's changed my life. It's changed my life. I know. I I, I gotta tell you. I know. I read your posts and and, and it's very clear. So I'm real aggressive. But these (laughs) days I tell people like, and I I don't know if you're religious and like, I don't want to be rude, but like Jesus being people's saviors and stuff and all that. But, like, I am damn close to Messiah Reborn, man. I'm fucking here. When, when During COVID, my beard gets long and my fucking hair grows long. I literally, I have been leaning into giving, and I will forever. And I still have some bad habits in my life, don't get me wrong. And I'm still a bit of a shithead. But I got to tell you, here's what's amazing, too. Is that if I ever, and this is so sad, but, you know, like, our exes bring out our egos and bring out these yeah, things. It has yeah. nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with them. So when I mention my ex, it has nothing to do with her. She is, she's a good person doing her thing in her world and life. I get it. But I know through volunteering now that if I ever saw her, I wouldn't be confident that like my career is going well, but it's going well. Things are happening. I wouldn't be confident that I'm in some new relationship because I'm not. I'd be confident and centered in myself as a, as a purposeful contributing being, you know, and, and nothing I don't think could break that. You do a shelter. I keep coming back to shelter movers. You do a fucking shelter move and you see one of these clients and you see them cry and you're fucking cry right in front of you and you're helping them flee domestic violence. You leave that day and you and nothing in your fucking life is a problem anymore. One I of my buddies it. called me the other day and he's like, he's like, I wish he's like a building a company. He's like, I wish that our client, my clients would just give me a million bucks. Like, why won't someone just give me a million dollars? I said, you listen to yourself. Come on a fucking shelter move, bro. Shut you right the fuck up. <laughs> That's why I say to everyone, come on a shelter move and it will shut you right the fuck up. Our problems are not problems. They are not problems. If you have any food at the end of the day on the table and a bit of shelter and you are safe, you are fine. Yeah, especially. And, and, and fuck right off. You know I what think, I mean? I like, I like but it took me a long time to get here because I got that comparisonitis where I'm like, <laughs> my whole life. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Because literally on my 40th year, 39th year, I finally discovered it. Yeah, the, the thing that I love is that for two things. The first one is my audience, the the listeners of the podcast, are sometimes not in Canada. In fact, I, yeah. I, I would I would think that half of them are not in Canada. Yeah, and people think that Canada is this incredible place, which it is in many ways, but that there's no gangs. There's no domestic violence. Oh, no, there's there's all this stuff. There's there's no racism. There's There's no poverty. They're wrong. They they think that if you come to live to Canada, a lot of people think that if you're here, you're making like so much money. Wrong. Blah, 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 blah. But a dollar. It happens. It happens everywhere. Like everything happens everywhere. And it takes people uh, like. Like you, it take like you're an incredible member of of your society and of the of our society, man. So, so thank you for that. Here's and, here's something I say about Canada. Let me just say this. Yeah. About Toronto, they say we're such a multicultural city. Canadians are so nice. We're polite, but I don't think we're nice because we talk shit about each other behind each other's backs. Yeah. 
we have to be polite in person because otherwise this whole thing we've put together won't work. So when we're out on the street, we're saying sorry and thank you and excuse me all the fucking time because we have to or this whole multicultural thing, diversity thing won't work. But behind each other's backs, we're talking shit and our, our communities are broken up. There are fucking Indian neighborhoods and Chinese neighborhoods and Jewish neighborhoods and and there's Rosedale's a predominantly Christian, you know, rich neighborhood and there's fucking we have little Korea and little fucking Italy and little Portugal. That's not a by accident. We break off onto our own place. It's and it's so it's not a melting pot in that way, but like I believe that we are there are a lot of different cultures and we are diverse, but I don't believe that we're quite as integrated as people might think. And I also think that we're not as nice to each other as people might think. And you're right. We have gangs. We have violence. We have all, we have all a fucking problem. We have homelessness. We have everything. We, and, ready? Because we're from all over the world, we got a little bit of everything. <laughs> Don't we? You know? Yes. If there's a, every, ready? Think about this. If we're so diverse, everything, every culture's shit. There's good things about every culture. Yeah, yeah. But every culture's shit. We have a little bit of it here everywhere. So we got a little bit of everything. I love it. Sorry. Yeah. No, you don't have to apologize. Get on these rants. Every every year we meet, every year we meet, and we you always give me incredible like not just feedback and things on how to improve or but the one that I remember the most was that we met in the summer of 2017. I had just quit my job. Yeah. And you told me about you going t- to Europe. With uh, with Wow Airlines was that in the mm-hmm. in the summer of 2016? Then the yeah. next summer 2017, you went to Europe again with uh, Phil uh, and Dave Do travel series. Yeah, travel series. You were doing like Snapchats. And, oh yeah, and, baby. And, and, like you're incredible at that. And then the next day, the next year, 2018, you went to Southeast Asia with Dave Does, and you. Also, like, won an award for, like, the best Snapchatter of the yeah, year. Or, like Nominated these, for a bunch yeah, of Yeah, nominated. Like, you were incredible. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you always come up with these ideas. And I remember you, you, you sharing the PDF with me in the emails. And oh, like, my da, God, da, da, yeah. Da, 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 da. An like, animal. incredible graphic design. Like, you contacted all these people. I'm an animal. You put it together in, like, a animal. month. I'm an animal. Yeah, you are an I'm a animal. fucking animal. Where, where did that <laughs> idea come from? And, and what was the best and worst part? Of going to Europe two months doing yeah. Snapchat. Like on like, and off, on and off. On home, and off. home and back though. Yeah. I'd fly back to Toronto a but lot. But you, you had a tight schedule like this city, yeah. this city, this yeah, city, yeah, this city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was all over the place. It was crazy. What was that like? What was the best and worst part? Um, so about um, so I love to realize ideas. I see things in my head and I want to see them come to life. I'm an ideas realizer. I don't You're... care what it is. I don't care if it's a business, a program, and I whatever it is. I don't care if it's a sculpture. I like to see it happen. You're the best at yeah, it. Yeah, I like to see it. And I can help other people. If anyone ever needs help, you can reach out to me. Like, I can help you build your fucking ground up, whatever you need. You want to be, be a fucking... I helped a girl who wants to be a nutritionist. I'm like, okay, here's what it takes to be a nutritionist. You need to do bing, <laughs> bing, 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 bing. And here it is. I built her a website, brand, everything, put it all together. She's a nutritionist. I helped her build the business around it. Yeah. So I can really help people do that. Um, but so... that's um, Sorry to interrupt. That's like the premise of the, the best number one rated small business book called the e-myth and the e-myth the premise is that a lot of people think the misconception is that because you can do the job the technical work or nutritionist then you should do a business of nutrition where you hire but like you you run the company or if you can do comedy that you should uh start a school of comedy and and it's it's not a lot of people 
that can do the technical work are really good managers or visualizers yeah, sure slash not. entrepreneurs. For sure not. And you're definitely you're you're man, you're one of the best strategists and yes. you actually get the job done. Yes. And 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 the last sentence about that is that inst- the reason why people burn out and they do so and they end up they end up hating their company but before they loved what they did as soon as they they yes. start a company they fucking hate it yes so what what it says is that you, instead of working in your job instead of working in your business you got to work on your business yes but sometimes you're so close to the wall that you can't even see what you're yes. doing yes you are a genius at that man you're, you're I'm, incredible. I'm, I'm actually working with a career coach right now about myself because i can do it for other people so easily and well and i see i see the idea i see it like if you call me up be like dave i want to do a podcast i would have seen it i've been like i've been to help you like here's how you deal with topics here's how you do technology here's a person to help you with your branding your website here's what your launch strategy should be here's what your social media fucking ecosystem should be here's who's your audience boom, boom, boom. i can do that for anyone's business but for some reason, for myself, because I have so many different interests, I have trouble. I've had a lot of trouble kind of paring down what is my offering. And so I've been working with a, with a, with a career coach on yeah. it and paying her a fair amount of money to help me <laughs> pair it. Because I, I, I don't have a partner with, for myself yeah. to look at myself. I and have so that I, problem too. I love too many things. Right. But you know what I love that I, I, I got to tell you, when I walked in here, the fact that your wife is helping you set all this up and do all this. Yeah, this is the most beautiful things I've ever seen. She's a producer. What a, support, what a supportive human being. What a beautiful partnership. When I watched her and saw that, I was like, fuck my ex. Fuck everyone I've ever dated. <laughs> Look at what's happening here. What a supportive human being. Because I say, when people try to like set me up with someone, like, oh, you're a handsome guy, a nice guy, 40 years old, you look healthy and everything's good. Like, oh, I want to set you up with someone. And I say, no, it's not going to work. They say, why not? And I say, because I'm a struggling artist and I'm okay with that. And that's a tough thing for a lot of people to hear going into a relationship that my 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 but money doesn't that, come first for me but that's I, limiting i think that's a limiting belief i think a lot of people wouldn't be see, right fair no right and so i'm trying to get over that yeah and i think it's from my ex unfortunately that kind of uh, like a little post-traumatic stress but from that you've been single for a, like you, most of my life for most of your most life of and i think every time that we talk to each other it's almost like you we're both artists so we we talked about it when i when i quit my job i was also like kind of broke because i didn't was making no money and this is one thing that i've really had to work hard on mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt you but no no it's no basically i interrupt myself that that when I, when you think about comedians like the majority of comedians not that they've should of this world the majority of comedians they are like some people are like broke start like starving artists For struggling sure. artists uh, like do drugs, drink a lot, not married, no kids, no car, no mortgage. A lot of these people are like that. And for me, I had to work really hard to 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 be like, I'm not going to be one of those guys. Yeah. Why can't I be a comedian and a businessman mm-hmm. and a father mm-hmm. and a husband mm-hmm. and an athlete too mm-hmm. and um and a traveler and a great son, a great uh, a great brother, a great sibling, like, and I re- and the, the the biggest thing that I had to work on is that when I quit the bank, I kind of made an unconscious decision where I was like, "Fuck money," you know, like I thought that money was going to make me happy when I was at the bank, and now I'm saying no to money. I'm going to quit my job to do whatever I love. 
So I made that unconscious, un- unconscious decision that money was the enemy. So, and, and a lot of a lot of problems from friends or family has come from money. So unconsciously, I made a decision like money is the enemy. It only brings problems, and I'm I'm going to be true to myself. I'm not going to sell out. But then I was like, why? Like, why can't I be a comedian and be rich? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I be a good husband and be loaded? Mm-hmm. You know, why Why does money always have to have a bad connotation? Mm-hmm. So I've worked hard to, to, to get rid of those limiting beliefs. And I'm not saying that you have them or you don't have them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you should limit yourself whenever you're going to meet a girl that that's going to be a, a, a break. Yeah my, yeah, my thing is, I know... I, w- I grew up in a, like I said, a middle-class community in Toronto. So, like, I know billionaires yeah. who are happy, and I know billionaires who are unhappy, and I know poor people who are happy and poor people who are unhappy. So, I believe that happiness is kind of just, you know, the person. And so, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, like, for me, I have a tumultuous relationship with money because the first half of my life, most of my friends, I was in a community of people who didn't have a lot. Because I went to a school, I went to a French immersion school with a lot of people who uh, didn't have a lot. You speak French? Je parle français très bien. Wow. And so, and so, uh, I just said I speak French yeah, really well. I, I, I okay. lived in Quebec, but okay, yeah, but yeah. you could have said anything, and I yeah, would have no, been no, like, no, "Wow." Je parle <laughs> um, but uh, but so makes you makes but, you even sexier for the ladies yeah, watching maybe. this podcast. But so, but so uh, in grade six, I changed schools. So for the first half of my life until I was 12, I was pretty much like the wealthiest person I knew. People would come to my house and be like, yo, guy, you live in a mansion, bro. And then in grade six, I changed schools to a kind of uh, a school that was uh, in a fairly middle upper class kind of community. And so immediately I became from like being like the having the most amongst my friends in my world and almost being embarrassed about how much I had to being a guy who was just like a fucking average Joe. If that, like maybe even poor compared to the people I knew. Was it a private school or is it a public? No, no, no. It was a public school, but it was just a different neighborhood. Yeah. And so for most of my life, all of my closest friends in my childhood, like my formative years from grade one to six, seven, were, were, were like kids who didn't have a lot. And I felt really ashamed that I had so much. And I felt sad that I had so much in a way. And so when I then met all these kind of richer people, like rich, literally rich kids, and they were like all into like other things. I got kind of caught up in that too a little bit. But I always knew that it didn't matter. You know what I mean? Because it's like, what are you guys better than my fucking buddy Omari? Or my fucking butter, you know, my buddy Winester? Like my buddy Babic? Like what makes you fucking better? Like, And I'm, an, yeah. and I'm also in, at 12 years old at an age where like these things that were kind of sorting these thoughts out, right? And so I've always had a really difficult relationship with money because from 12 years old until basically today, I've been surrounded by a big community of people who have a lot of fucking money okay i got really immersed in like a kind of a fairly middle class upper middle class jewish community of people who've got a lot of money and not all my friends have a lot of money but like i know a lot of people with means and that's not a bad thing i just mean but just as a kid that transition really fucked me up and so today i wish that i could think the way you did but i still feel firmly that i know some guys who have a couple kids they live in a little apartment with their wife and their lives are great and they're happy and so that's the kind of feeling that i want to have because like my ex wanted a family wanted a house wanted all these things wanted stability and career and was afraid of being the breadwinner uh, afraid of like her being the only breadwinner and i'm like i make money i'm a fuck i'm i'm not fucking broke like i still make money I make ends meet 
the years that I'm drunk, I make more money because I need more money because I'm drunk all the time. So I need to make more money to pay for my alcohol. I'm the kind of guy that like when I need money, I'll go make more money. And so I kind of fear money a little bit in a way because I know that because I know a lot of rich people who are fucking miserable and are shit people. And so that's why kind of this giving thing this leaning into giving. I hope I actually hope that the universe gives me, which it kind of has so far. Like if I just give more. Every time that I get depressed or sad nowadays, like not depressed, but like get down and reminded of my feelings about my breakup or my doctor or my dad and all this shit or worried about my career, I literally just take that energy and say, sign up for another shelter move. I'm literally just pushing myself into that. And since I've been doing It'll that, shut you right the fuck shut up. the fuck up. <laughs> and I feel like I'm hoping that the energy that, you know, like give out, you get back what you put in, you know, and like, and that, you know, like what goes around comes around yeah, and yeah, yeah. giving you shall receive type stuff. Like, and so, and slowly it's been happening, man. Slowly it's been happening. I got, I got some really wicked projects that are happening right now that are all really, really beautiful. But here, let's get back to, you asked about the summers of travel. Yeah. Did well, I skip anyways, it? Can just we? To, yeah. Yeah. You kind of skipped it, but, but. I um, skipped it entirely. Not even kind of. We were <laughs> fucking touched on it at all. <laughs> You're the king of tangents but you're such a good storyteller that i don't i can't i don't even remember so but but i just want to close that that point you i'm not saying maybe i'm projecting here but you're fucking enough like you oh no you i know, know. But, i know and then like i'm just saying but like, i'm poisoned by my ego yeah, and my ex for some it, it reason doesn't, it's not even about your ex because i met you years yeah. ago and i, and I don't i don't yeah, think no, you it's were not that different her. yeah um but I think that you 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 could have that instability, quote unquote, and still like not work at a bank or not be a lawyer, not be a doctor, yeah, yeah, and yeah. still have a like a fucking incredible yeah. relationship. Yeah. Be a great dad, husband, yeah. father, yeah. Yeah. like all these things, you know. Agreed. And, and that does. And I'm not saying that you have to be a, a husband, father to also be satisfied or achieve happiness or fulfillment. But um, this is this is. This is the spoiler to my life, to, to my banking things. I thought that when I quit the bank and I did comedy, I would be happy. And I blamed the bank for being miserable yeah. those, those days. And then yeah. I realized it was me all along. Yeah. It wasn't the bank. Yeah. I let myself get there. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's um, I'm not saying it's just a decision, but um, it's who you have to, to yeah. be, become. And, and I think you, you like you're... I'm not sure if you're you're chasing anything, but I think you're fucking amazing, man. Like, thank I don't, you. Like, you're not. I I, I just. I, it would be nice to have career stability. It'd be nice to know. Like, so I'm still in a place right now where I don't. If I don't. If a project doesn't land and if it doesn't work out, I'm not making money. Like, I don't work for anyone else. I work for myself and my companies and. My companies sometimes make good money. My The Keepsake Video Company, we landed a big deal where we're producing a whole bunch of Keepsake videos and a basically a, an archive of stories for a community in Toronto. And so it's, it's going to pay us really well. And um, I have a project, like I said, with Cam H. And if I can raise the money to do it, because I'm fundraising right now to produce this, this series, uh, if that happens, then I'll get paid a little bit. But if I don't, if I, if these things don't land and don't happen... It's funny, you know, actually, it's an interesting thing because I do have some, like, debilitating issues around my past relationship. And I was thinking about the fact that, like, people with jobs can get fired. Yeah. And so it's like, you're so fucking stable. You have stable, you have your benefits and stability. What if your fucking boss 
fires you. Yeah, and you and that's fucking a re- asshole. The, the thing that I was thinking. <laughs> I'm like, I'm out here hustling. I got fucking. I turned a hundred. I got. I, I I earned like. I earned like a bunch of money last year, and I fucking made that out of nothing. You know? Yeah. Fucking like the, the fucking alchemist. I think you strive. I think I think you strive. Uh, like uncertainty so drives you in many ways. And the thing is, Fear. like, why are you like? Why do you want like? You, it would be a disservice to society if you would be a fucking accountant. Agreed, I wouldn't survive. Or a lawyer, or whatever. I'd get fired. You're just not built like that. I'd get fired. So, I don't think that I'm gonna I'm gonna solve anything here. But just accept it. Like, you're you're incredible at what you do, and and this is what you're gonna do the rest of your life. You want to hear a really inspirational moment in my life? I graduated uh, from Ontario College of Art and Design. I studied industrial design. And I met What's with the other thing you studied uh, as well? integrated media before that, also at Ontario College of Industrial Design. They're like uh, borderline useless degrees. I kind of bullshit my <laughs> way through, but I did really well, and so I have two degrees. But um, but the industrial design taught me a lot about strategy and about um, about you know who are the stakeholders in any project, what are their needs. That, my that's... business partner Huang is an industrial design. T- yeah, so that, that that's that's where the strategy comes from. It's really great, um, but because design is mostly strategy. Um, and uh, and so I met with a friend of mine's dad who runs this really big marketing company in Toronto. Really good guy. And he's like, and he gave me his, t- he's my best friend's dad. And he gave me like two hours of his time in this big boardroom at their fucking, at his office. Full beautiful floor of a building downtown Toronto. I'm so intimidated going into the meeting. And I sit with him and he's my friend's, best friend's dad. So I know I can kind of be candid with him. And he's he started this huge marketing company. And I sit with him and I tell him about all my projects and everything I'm doing and everything that I'm working on, all my dreams and aspirations and everything I want to do. And I'm so nervous, so I'm just pouring my shit onto this guy. And in the back of my mind, I'm almost like hoping that he just like gives me a job or does something that just solves my fucking problems, you know, because he runs this huge company where it'd be great if I worked. And at the end of the whole thing, he listened to me patiently for like an hour and a half rant, as you can see I do. <laughs> and he goes... And he goes, you know, I've listened to you. He said, I've listened to you for this whole time. He said, there are two things I want to say. He said, number one, you're not an employee. He said, I get the sense that, like, you feel like you need a job or want a job. And, like, you know, he goes, I feel like I, I could give you a job. He said, but it won't work out. You'll quit or I'll fire you. He's like, it won't work. You're not an employee. You're going to create your own things and carve your own path. He said, and if there's one thing I can now tell you about doing that... He said, because I've done it, he said, the hardest part of your life as an entrepreneur and a creative and trying to do what you're doing is dealing and coping with being alone in that pursuit. So this whole fucking time, I'm looking for advice on how to get a job, land a deal, get a company, do this, do that. What he came back to was the emotional tolerance to deal with the fear and being alone in this pursuit of whatever the hell it is you're going to go after. And what a profound thing. Like, I walked out of there and I was like, whoa. Because, like, that's my whole fucking life is dealing with the fear and the, and, the, and the alone. And so every once in a while now, when, like, I'm back to alone and I'm doing this alone. And you have a partner. And I have a partner in my different companies. But I don't have, like, a partner, like, right here. One of the companies that I worked with for a long time, they were a couple of my closest friends for a long time, are twin brothers. So they're both in it together. You know what I mean? they got to do yeah. it together. And, and I don't have that. And so... I've noticed, so it's just that, that even though when you say like, you're enough, and it's like, I know, yeah. but like, there's still that you're still alone in this pursuit. And, and I find that that's, that's kind of the fear and the struggle. And, 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 and so far so good. 
And that's why I just feel like, if I, again, I come back to this, channel my fucking energy into helping other people. And, and then it's like, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. You know what I miss the most about the bank and being an employee? Apart from the recurring paycheck, uh, the two weeks, every every two weeks, you could have had like uh, an incredible two weeks get paid. You could have had a shitty two weeks, still get paid. It, like that is that stability felt great. But the thing I, I miss the most is getting congratulated. Like nobody oh congratulates you. Let me tell you something funny about the old folks home playing music. I used to joke at the end, they'd clap at the end of every song. And I used to joke to them, I'd be like, you know, I get a round of applause. Like, who gets rounds of applause? <laughs> like, every week I come here and I get, like, 12 rounds of applause at the end of 12 things. And, and, and there's something about that that, yeah, like, you're getting, you're getting, you don't get yeah, congratulated. You, I don't get, like, like yeah. con- I'll congratulate Juan. Juan will congratulate me. You've every a great job. While, you're both kind of like, yeah. But we, we do it all the time. And, and then I just miss the accolades. I miss the... The teamwork and being there to get... I also miss making everyone on the floor laugh. I yeah, miss that Yeah, of course, a lot. of course. The camaraderie, I miss that That's a lot. why volunteering, the community, yeah, being yeah. out, making these people laugh the um, best. But it feels like a like a lonely road sometimes. I, I like the accountability. I really like the accountability. If like I, I, I mess up, I don't eat. If I fucking well, kill and, it, and, I and, like... and is it... So the accountability, in my mind, for you, would be your business partner, your wife, and your child. Yeah, a hundred percent. She's got a job I, too, but I mean, like, yeah. What I mean by that is, I like because I'm an. Uh, oh, you yeah. liked the accountability at work. Yeah. I oh, like, of course. No, no, no. Oh. What I'm saying is, I like to be fully responsible for this result, and I also, if I fuck up, then I don't make any money. But right. I. But as you know, I'm I'm very competitive. I'm very organized. I'm I'm very strategic in in, in some of my ways. I'm very disciplined. So I like it that if I do it well, I'm gonna be on that front cover. Like so, I, so you like the accountability to yourself? Yeah, I really. Really? Like yeah. That. See, you're so fucking good at that, man. I like. Do people that. know? Do people know you? Like, here's the thing. I when know. I when I came here and sat down, like, like, do you pronounce your name differently in in Spanish versus English? Yeah. How, say them both to me. Well, in Spanish, it's Stefan. And in English, dude, I get called Steven all day. And yeah, Stefan, yeah, because people... Stefan, yeah, Steph- they call me Steven, but, like, if I'll say Stefan or Stefan Dyer. Stefan Dyer or Stefan Dyer. Stefan Dyer or Stefan Dyer. Either of those work, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, here's what I wonder. <laughs> because, and because I know that most of your listeners are, are probably speak Spanish, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I was wondering if, if, if I'm about to say fucking Stefan or Stefan, if I'm some fucking idiot, you know? So, I want to make sure that, that I'm some asshole... Like, why is he pronouncing his name like that? But so, do people know, I find you to be absolutely, literally, I meet a lot of people, man. I interview people pretty much for a living. I'm out there. I host events. I, I'm around people. When I'm not sitting at home alone, I'm around thousands of people, the, you know? The remaining 13% of your time. Is a lot of people. And so, you are arguably one of the most inspirational people I know in terms of the way that you like fucking virtually Tony Robbins your life. And I don't know if, and I don't know if it's because of Tony Robbins, but you know what I mean when I say something I like get that. It. Yeah. A guy who fucking structure shit, accountability, spirituality, fucking coaching yourself, self-help, all this shit. You're I would imagine that your wife congratulates you and pats you on the back and says great job every once in a while yeah eventually your fucking kid hopefully will be like thanks dad fucking keeping the heat on and the lights on yeah but 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 
I struggle with what you just said that you're good at for yourself. I am not. I see a project in my head and I feel fucking anxiety until it exists. But what I'm not good at is like giving myself timelines to get those projects done. So what I do is I come up with an idea. I'm like, I come up with a project and I write it out and I see it and I have the the deck. I have the package. And then I'm like, but like, I could just stop there. I'm like, I don't want to call anyone. Like, cause once you call someone, then you're accountable to someone. Right. So like, I got this cam H project right now going. We're like, the Cam H Foundation has greenlit that they're going to publish eight eight episodes of whatever the hell I produce. And I told them, I'm going to go fucking raise $120,000 or 200000 whatever it costs. I said, I'm going to go fucking raise this money myself because I want this to happen. And so they're like waiting for it to happen. And it needs to happen. And being accountable, I love being accountable to the volunteer stuff because there's no pay. There's no pay. Fuck, I'm showing up for free. Of course they're happy I'm there. Of course. And I have no problem showing up to that because I'm not getting paid. So my fucking worst job is still a job because I'm a volunteer, babe. Yeah, yeah. I'm still going to put my best foot forward, but I'm just a volunteer. But but so when so I find that account being accountable to myself. Like how about this? Here's a good one. I want to do shelter moves often because it gives me mental health and wellness, okay? makes me feel good and so i've blocked off in my week on mondays and thursdays i see my psychiatrist type people my nutritionist and all that shit those are locked in things so monday and thursday are days that i book all my business phone calls and everything business because i want to make sure that if shelter movers calls on tuesday wednesday friday saturday sunday i'm available for a shelter move so i literally try to book everything mondays and thursdays everything And today I had the thought like, dude, you need to fucking raise this money for fucking this Cam H project. And you keep fucking booking people Mondays and Thursdays, but Thursday is like deep in the week. So like you should be taking a call on Tuesday if you can't do it on Monday, even if it's the only thing you have that day, because you need to get this shit going. And then I think to myself, but you know what? I really like Shelter Movers Owners doing such mental health and wellness for me. And today was the first day that I thought to myself, Maybe it's time to kind of reconsider and find a balance again to get like start to prioritize your career because you do need to fucking make money. Let's not fucking, you know, shelter movers and all these organizations help get you out of your bad place. Yeah. But now that you've found this, let's try to find a fucking balance and not overdo it. So literally today was the first day that I thought to myself, start being more accountable to myself to like, it's time to like, okay, let's start to make some money and you're feeling better and everything's good and fucking do that. But I got to tell you, man, the way that you do, do people know when I came in here and sat down and I see you setting all this up and I think about when we met at that fucking coffee shop on King Street yeah, and I fucking, you told me that you told me that my, a, a girl I dated was fucking getting married. I'm like, ah, turn green. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much publicly about that right now, <laughs> but whatever. But this Anyways, is, but so, so when I met, met you that day and saw what you're working on, and heard how you structure your life and write things down and the work you do and the commitment you've put in. It's like, and, and people, I'm going to tell people who are listening right now, when we sat down today, I looked around Stefan's place and I looked at his shit and I said, and cause it, everything he's surrounded by like his progress and what to do and aspirations and goals and, and fucking, and things to fucking keep him accountable and affirmations and everything. <laughs> I think to myself, I said out loud to you, yeah. Man, if I were you, I'd be the fucking most successful guy I fucking know. 
if I had your kind of structure and commitment, even when you were just saying before, it makes me sick. When you were saying before, you're like, I want to, you know, and we were talking about the money in the bank and you're like, I left the bank and I realized, why can't I be rich and be a good husband and be a good yeah. father and be a good athlete and be a good comedian and be a good business person? And you basically like outlined all of people's main life sort of yeah. attributes and goals and like categorized the columns, the categories of life. It'd be all these things. And I sat here and I listened to you and I was like, oh my fucking God, this guy. Like, because all I do in my life, here's the problem. This is a, a poison that my dad put on me, is he was a doctor. My mom was a doctor also. Both, I'm, I'm the yeah. child of two very successful doctors, you know? And they're doctors. Like, their identity's doctor. It's like an actor. It's like Jim Carrey's a comedian. Or fucking, you know, the president is the president. And they're doctors. And so my whole life, I feel like I have to define myself by, yeah. like, what I am. That would kill and when, me. And when I just, yeah, clearly. And when I just sat here and listened to you, I was like... Why can't you break up all these categories and define yourself by all these columns and give them all equal weight? Because my whole life right now, I'm defining myself in a way by my career. And I, my mother, when she, when she, when my, my dad never retired, the fucking, a few days before my dad fucking died, he sent a, an email to the chief of medicine at, 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 at uh, like, I don't even, wherever, me, uh, Toronto, Toronto General, General, or, or it was like, um, or it was like, um, Mount Sinai. whatever it was called. And he said, like, I'm taking a short leave of medical absence. I'm like, Dad, you're fucking dying in seven days. There's no fucking short. That death is forever, pal. And I literally, he sent that email, and I closed the computer in front of him. He's sitting there, and I go, I go, congratulations, you just retired. And he goes, oh, no, I didn't retire. And I go, Dad, you just fucking retired, bro. And he's like, I didn't retire. And he started making him laugh. And I'm like, dude. You fucking had like a 40 plus year career. You won every accolade in medicine. You got awarded, you know, you got awarded the, the Order of, of Canada. Canada. You fucking, you had five fucking kids. You had two success, one failed marriage, but still successful for 30 years. I'm like, you got a second marriage. You're a professor. I'm like, what the fuck else is there to do, bro? Yeah. How, how can you not be done? And this goes back to our conversation about fulfillment. When I saw him feel that way, like he almost like there was still more to do. He still, it still it seemed. En- do you think it wasn't enough? It still feel, it still felt like he felt like he hadn't found like complete fulfillment and bliss and fucking Zen or whatever you want to call it. When my mother retired, she, it was clear that my father lived to work and, and identified as his career. Yeah. When my mother retired, the day my mother was allowed to retire was the day that my brother's 25th birthday because her final kid is off the payroll. We had a little ceremony in her office where she put on her lab coat, doctor's coat, took it off, put it in the garbage. No She way. said, I'm not a doctor anymore. I'm a grandmother. The end. My mother defines herself by her family. I have been poisoned as my father's son where I have identified my whole life by what I am, my career. And when my, when my relation, when my dad fucking, so the joke I make is about like my ex at one point, her dad was like worried about my career, started to worry about my career. And it was a whole big thing. And I, I remember saying to her, I'm like, you don't think I'm used to that? My dad had to fucking die to finally fuck off about my career. (laughs) Like literally he had to die for him to shut the fuck up about everything. My doctor well, it's also kind of like the old boys club. Like you have a career, you need stability. Then my ex left. And so I, in this, in this, when I had that moment on my couch that I described, 
where I'm sitting there and I'm like, fuck all of this. If you had a billion dollars, what would you do? The genuine first thought was I'd be a full-time volunteer, which means that like deep in my soul, I identify with that, with yeah. giving and trying to help people. 100%. And then, and then maybe I'll want to be a family guy one day. But it was so interesting for me when you said, I want to be a good this, I want to be a good this, I want to be a good this, because those are all things that you identify as. And I, it made me think, and it's so therapeutic. Every time I talk to you, it's so therapeutic. <laughs> I leave here so inspired because it's like going to a funeral. It's like you fucking, the death of whatever was before you fucking sat down with Stefan and you're going to leave with this new fucking, fucking, you know, outlook on life. Because it's made me think like, yeah, like I'm all worked up in my career, but right now I identify as, I have my work. Yeah. I identify as a volunteer. I identify as someone who's leaning into my family. And hopefully I can identify as someone who, who can be, a good lover and a good relationship. Very inspirational. Yeah, you, Holy you know, shit. You know you know what fucked Fuck. me up? Like my Instagram said comedian. Yeah. And and then as a comedian, which I love to do as well, yeah. it, I felt like everything that I posted had to make people funny. Laugh yeah. It's or the worst funny. feeling. Even when I went to parties, they were like, Oh, tell me a joke. It's blah, the blah, worst blah. feeling. And then I burnt that well, you met me when I started doing vines and some of my videos went viral. Yeah. Some of my Instagram videos went viral. And then I loved being that guy, but it was so exhausting and draining to always have to be that guy. And I'm like, you know what? I love a, a lot of different things. Why do I always have to be this guy? So I, I recently, I, I switched my profile. Now it says uh, dad and husband. It says yeah. productivity and well-being. Yeah, I saw, uh, yeah. Speaker and yeah, comedian. Yeah. I creep your it's, shit. I know all your shit. I got your shit. <laughs> and then, and then uh, so these are all things that give me satisfaction. So I had to really, rem- and then the other thing that fucked me up was that I the tag the identity of the banker because i was just chilling making money living downtown condo party oh yeah they swinging your yeah. dick around bro your dick's uh, a lasso 100 percent. so then <laughs> when i quit i'm like who the fuck am i you know like i was okay with not being at the bank but i was scared and ashamed sometimes to walk at the like in in the building because I used to go to Toastmasters every day. Yeah. Well, not anymore. It's on Zoom now because yeah. of the pandemic. But every Wednesday morning, I would go to the Toastmasters and I would feel ashamed or or I wouldn't want people to see me walking there because I would think they would think that I was trying to get a job again uh-huh. there, which would mean that I failed as a comedian. Uh-huh. And I didn't have that many good news at the beginning. Uh-huh. So like they'd be like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, incredible. Uh-huh. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Kind of like trying to like lie or, yeah, yeah. No, or, no, or trying I know. to pretend that I was yeah. killing it. So then, now, I really just try to do what gives me satisfaction and try to stay away from those labels. Like, I'm many things, you know? I'm, I'm many things, and I don't, just, I don't have to just be one. So, going back to the books and the reading, it's who you have to become, and then the rest falls in place. Yeah. And I think you, I, man, I think you, you, you've been you, there this whole time. I struggle with, I struggle with that same thing in about, especially being kind of like, I'm, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a public figure, I'm not an influencer, but I do work in media. My stuff is on broadcast, online, and stuff. Some of my stuff is with kids. My stand up, when I go on stage, it's all crass talking about dating, fucking shooting the shit, one night stands, whatever's happening. And and then I and then I have a very serious side with my storytelling when I tell stories about my dad yeah. dying and I tell stories that are really meaningful. I'm gonna be doing this Cam H thing where I'm gonna be talking to people about suicide. And then there's a fucking show online called Sex on the Street TV that I created yeah. where I'm talking to people on the street about facials and fucking anal sex and pubic hair. And it's and 
I kind of use the comedy to have important conversations too about sex that I think people aren't having. But I have a lot of trouble with trying to juggle. The biggest, the biggest struggle in my life is the fact that I have shows where I talk to kids and I have businesses I'm working with like CAMH and organizations and like the, the thing I'm doing with, with a keepsake video. I'm interviewing people's grandparents. But when I go on my Snap or my, my Insta stories, I want to fucking talk shit sometimes. Yeah, It'd be funny. Man. Make the fucking people laugh. I love that. But, but I can't. I just can't. Can I tell you something? And this could be a bit of a... And I don't know. We obviously went in a different direction than the, than the traveling stuff. But I can speak to social media and the Snapchat stuff. This is interesting, actually. Yeah. We're coming to the end of it. I have one okay. more question for you. Okay. Because I had... Finish that point. But it, and... it, it, it's a, it'll take a couple minutes to tell this quick story. Okay. Do you tell have a couple minutes? Quick. I'll tell quick. We got the champagne it's this. question coming it's up. It's this. Ready? It's this. Um, I go... I date a girl who tells me to get on Snapchat. I don't fucking use Snapchat, but she's a couple years younger than me, so I got on Snapchat. And she said, check your fucking snaps, get on it. So I go on Snapchat, and then stories come out. Stories were just introduced. Yeah. So I start posting some stories, because you can't see anyone in Snapchat. You don't know who's watching your shit. So I'm just talking shit and being myself. And people find it so funny. You're the best. And I'm, I'm so good at it. And then one of my buddies sends me a message. He goes, yo, there's this airline called Wow Air, and they're doing this thing looking for a, sna- a person to win to travel the world and Snapchat their experiences. You're so funny on Snapchat. Why don't you fucking send your shit in? So I create a fucking Snap story that's real clean. Like I'm a host doing a quick, I do a quick one-minute tour of Toronto, and I send in this one-minute Snap story because that's how you had to submit. And I get a call from Wow Air like a couple months later saying, hi, we, we, we want to invite you to Iceland to get a nav- to to learn about Wow Air because we want you to be the person that we send around the fucking world to Snapchat your experiences. Insane. Crazy, right? Ten thousand people apply. So when I go to Iceland and I and I get chosen one of four people. So I go to Iceland to meet the Snap to the 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 Wow Air team. This this ties back to what we're talking about. And when we're in the boardroom in the meeting, I said to them, I said, "Do you want me on your account to Snap as myself, or do you want me to Snap as your representative?" Like. I'm representing wow air, so keep things clean and cool and my sense of humor and whatever. And they said, no, no, we like what you do. You you do what you do. I'm like, are you sure? Because I fucking, I fucking talk a lot of shit in my snaps. And they're like, no, no, we think you're really funny. So I go out. I'm the first day. I, I have the honor. Everyone's been watching this social media campaign, and I have the honor of being the first person that they send on, on trip. Each one of us were broken up over weeks during the summer. I go to Iceland, and I start snapping. And I snapped a bunch of stuff that were like jokes to me that were so funny but were inappropriate in a way to people who lived in Iceland. But I didn't know that. So they asked me to take them down. And I said to them, I'm like, I'm like are you, you sure? Like, I, said, I said, I think I should snap more as like a representative of Wow Air and not myself. And they're like, no, 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 you're really funny. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, but every good joke you just told me to delete. You don't. My sense of humor is not working. So then I come, so I do this whole travel thing for a year and I become this Snapchat guy, yeah. right? Just immerse in Snapchat. My Snapchat blows up and I get high, I get called, I go in to, to the shopping channel in Canada to do some behind the scenes Snapchat stuff for them. And I create a sample video. I go there, I'm behind the scenes at the shopping channel, making great snaps for them. And then the person who ran this idea who was doing this, trying to create this a shopping channel to have like a digital Snapchat host, pitched it to the director of the shopping channel or someone who was higher up there, and they turned it down. And I said to him, why? What I sent was perfect. It was excellent content. It was so clean, so good, so engaging. And she said, yeah, they were watching your own snaps and they just feel like you're, you're kind of, 
you know, your energy and stuff isn't really right for the brand. And I said, yeah, that's in my own Snapchat channel. But like when I'm on shopping channel, I'm going to be clean as fuck. And they said like, <laughs> and it clean as fuck. And they said, no, it won't work. And since that happened, I've been very upset and angry about the fact that, you know what the truth is, unfortunately, you have to, in a way, unfortunately, you kind of have to choose one or the other. And, and, and if I'm going to be crass and be, and be like, kind of like real crass and inappropriate at times, um, that's not going to work for the kids' world. And that's not going to work for when I'm working with charities and organizations who want to be, who want to work with me on stuff. And so it's really, this is the bane of my existence is that I think that my crass side, that comedian who's like fucking like and talking shit and whatever, I actually think that that's my bread and butter. I think it's so funny and it's so strong and it's so good. <laughs> but everyone I know says anyone can be crass and there are a lot of comedians out there talking shit. But not a lot of people can talk to kids in such a meaningful way. And not a lot of people can get people to open up to you like that. You're incredible. And not a lot of people can share stories the way you do and, and kind of connect people to feelings and emotions. And so that's a unique thing that you can do. So focus on that. And so I've been doing that. But I'll tell you this. this whole I'll give this till I'm 50. But if I don't have five, I'm not making fucking bread, but I'm 50 and feel comfortable, you fucking better believe that when I'm 50, I'm going to throw out all this corporate cleanup stuff that I have to do. <laughs> and all, because I know, because all these people, they follow you on Instagram, man. The company, they follow, people on, at Cam H, they follow me now. And so I have to be clean. I think it's a small so, price to, well, it's clearly like on your mind, but I think it's a small, small price to pay for the incredible work that you're doing. And if, Like saying fuck and like all these bad words is going to take it away, then stop and don't here's, do it. But here's the difference. The woman, for example, what's her name? Uh, she's the, the woman. She's a comedian who hosts Kids Say the Darndest Things. She's really funny. She's African-American. She's, um, oh, what's her name? I bought her book. I'm so stupid. Whatever. She's great. She's a crass comedian, but she was a crass comedian. Tiffany comed Haddish? Tiffany Haddish. She got famous being inappropriate and crass, and then they got her... Yeah. And then she landed the kids thing. So she kind of did it backwards. And so I feel like I have no choice but to stay clean until later. You know? Dude, I think too bad. You, you're doing incredible things already, man. Just just be you and, and then strategically don't say bad words. But we've come to the end, my friend. You, I, I want to congratulate you because this is the longest episode in the history of... Obviously. Of what did you think was going to fucking happen? <laughs> If I were you, I'd cut out the whole Jew thing. I cut out some yeah, of that, that beginning not, stuff. That's eh, boring. It. It's fucking incredible. cares about Jews. If we were, this I do. Is the, this yeah. is the champagne question. Yeah. And this is the end. Every every guest gets this question. Yeah. If we were to meet a year from now, with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating in Dave Keystone's life? Oh man, you're the fucking best, man. CP, you're the best. <laughs> you're fucking the best. I wish I was you. Fuck. My life would have been so much better if I was you. Um, what are we going to be celebrating in a year? In your life. In my life? A couple things. Can I tell you? Yeah. We're going to be celebrating the launch of the series Not Alone with Cam H, where I interview people about suicide. We're going to be celebrating having closed a deal to create um, what's going to be a massive archive of people's stories that I can't really talk about right now because we haven't released it yet. And I hope that we could be celebrating me being finally being able to find my way into a, a really meaningful relationship that I prioritize the way you do because I think that my next step in life is the relationship family thing with the career thing and so hopefully we're toasting that I've kind of sorted that shit out I love it man well 
on in that in that journey, don't stop being you, man. Because as I say in all these episodes, I, I study a lot of high performance and 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 most more than high performers, people who have accomplished incredible things in life, and they haven't done it by mitigating their weaknesses or trying to be someone else. They've done it by really doubling down and betting on their strengths and what makes them unique and special. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's going to sound cheesy, but it would be a disservice to, mm-hmm. to humanity if you stop doing all the things that you do, which which you're incredible at. Yeah. So my friend, Thank you. this is uh, this was an honor. I always thought of you when I was creating this podcast. Thank you for being here. Uh, everyone follow Dave on his social media. It'll be on the episode notes because he is arguably... Probably the best storyteller that I know. And as you can see, he is going 1,000 miles per hour in his yeah. head. He is funny. He is I do incredible. talk fast. I apologize. If you're ESL, if you're English second language, <laughs> I apologize that it was tough to follow. But I'll tell you this, if I can just say a last thought to yeah. you, is that from the time we sat at that cafe and talked about you leaving the bank and doing what you're doing and you became a comedian and you joined Toastmasters and you won awards and you got you got the recognition you deserve and you launched this podcast and then I'm here back on the podcast as a part of what you created. I find that to be really special that I've kind of lived that life cycle with you. Thank you, man. So thank you. Uh, you are and, and you will continue to be a part of my life. I, I, I really wish we can collaborate on some projects because we've been friends. We meet each other once a year. One day. We really follow each other and we, we best we, we yeah. wish ourselves the best. Yeah. But this this is really meaningful. I, yeah. I love this man. Uh Stefan Dyer and Dave Keystone on the Stefan Dyer podcast. Ciao ciao. Thank you. <laughs> Gracias por escuchar el Stefan Dyer podcast. Arrivederci, my people.